What was the Giants' record first half of the season, Brett? Damn, was it like one and seven? Okay. One and seven. That's what our record was. So he thinks that we <laughs> what winning four games in the second half of the season is more of a reflection. Where, by the way, half of those fucking games we played backup quarterbacks. Yeah, you think yep. that's more of a reflection of this football team the second half of the season than the shit that we put out on the field the first half of the season? Really? When the games actually mattered, yeah. when the games actually mattered, especially in quarters one through three, and then when Eli would be great during garbage time, that's what matters to you, and that's how you're evaluating the future of this football team and the potential of this team. Really? You have to agree that they're doing these things out of fear. They're not doing these things out of rational decision-making. What, what, what would the fear about by, by keeping Beckham, what, what, what would the fear there be? The fear that he's uncontrollable. Okay. The fear that, oh, he's going to go on Josina Anderson again and talk bad about Eli. Oh, he's going to go on and question the play calling. Fuck you. It was bad. Yeah. They weren't I mean, throwing him the ball down the field. They weren't utilizing him the way that they should. And he said something about it. So then what did they go and do one week later? They scored 30 fucking points for the first time since Tom Coughlin. That's yeah. what they went out and did after he went out and challenged the team. They got rid of the thing that was pointing them to their problem. And right. Eli Manning. Right. That's what they, that's what they got rid of. Right. <laughs> They're like, you know what? You're right. But we don't want to hear about it. So bye. Welcome, welcome to episode number 42 of Bleeding Blue, and today we are going to talk about leadership, leadership 101, and how the Giants are being run by spineless, directionless, and fearful decision makers that are afraid to do anything different than what they already are comfortable with, because they do not want to be proven wrong. We'll break down some Gettleman quotes, and basically, this will just serve as an extension from last week's episode, except... We're not going to be asking so many questions. I'm going to be a little bit more pissed. So without further ado, <laughs> let's bleed blue. All right, Brett Wiley is here. Our friend, yep. David Powis, he's going through a little bit of a rough time. I know a lot of people have kind of reached out to me, said, where's Dave? Where's Dave? We miss him. But Dave will be back. He's going through his own little thing. So, you know, keep your thoughts open for Dave. And um, But Brett Wiley graciously and also Mike Bokra very very late and late at night last week when the Beckham trade news broke he joined us but Brett Wiley joined us two weeks ago now he's back Brett Wiley how you doing today I'm I'm doing pretty well doing pretty well my, my Sixers won again things things are going well where'd you go on vacation I went down to Virginia actually uh down Ooh. to Irvington which is sort of in the uh, Chesapeake Bay Chesapeake Bay region yeah, it was really chill, really quiet. People drove really slowly down there and made excruciatingly slow right and left turns. It was really ridiculous. Every car would make these really slow turns. And I guess coming from, you know, further north and we're all like wound tight up here, you expect people to be drive like maniacs. So I don't know. But anyway, it was a different experience. I liked it overall. Slower, lower. <laughs> That's a, that, yeah. that's at least what they say about Delaware, slower, lower Delaware, but probably is true. You could probably apply it to other places. I was in a, I was in Nashville last week, and I ate an illegal amount of food. The amount of food that I ate should be illegal. Well, maybe I'll make it illegal. I hope you don't, but I definitely think it should. I also saw this thing where I was on the, I was just walking the streets of Nashville like you do, and I saw this like game where. It was a bar, like a gym bar, and there was a sign that said, hang for 120 seconds, get paid $100. Now, at first, I saw a girl, oh, 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 like a, a, young, a young girl, and I saw her head, and I saw nothing else. Hmm. That so, doesn't look good. I know. And I'm, so you know how your brain 
like for a split second, you read something or you see something and it's like, oh my God, what are they doing? What, what What's happening? It. I thought for a split second yep. that hang for 120 seconds meant hang, not yep. dangle by your arms, but hu- being hung for 120 seconds and then you get $100 if you survive. That's That's what I thought. That's what I thought you meant. <laughs> no. So it just turns out that if you just hang by a bar, um, fifth grade pull up, um, what are they called? Chin ups. As yeah. long as you just sway on that, sway on the monkey bars for 120 seconds without putting your feet on the ground, you would get a hundred dollars. But for, $100? for that split second, I'm like, these people are being hung for 120 seconds and they would win a hundred dollars and they wouldn't die. So Honestly, I think I'd give someone more than that if they were able to hang <laughs> like by their neck for 120 seconds and live because that's pretty much instantaneous generally. But isn't that crazy like how like the brain works? I told my mother that and she's like, "What the hell is wrong with you? What is wrong but with that, you?" But that's what the way you just framed it to me, that's immediately where my brain went too. I didn't so. see arms. I didn't see arms. I just saw a human head. Yeah. So when you put it when you put it that way, of course, of course, that's what you're gonna. That's where you're gonna go. I I don't think there's anything weird or or different about that. Speaking of the uh, weird ways the human brain works, (laughs) Dave Gettleman and John Mara are running the uh, the New York Football Giants organization. Hmm. That's a thing. That's a thing that's happening. That's unfortunate. Yeah, I know. So. Weird brains that work in strange ways. Uh, I, I think you know we got we got two guys right over there. So last week, Brett, I don't know if you listened to the episode, but never do. That was our never do, never do, because you're you're such a bad guy. Um, <laughs> last week, first of all, it was our most downloaded episode. So downloaded, played, listened to episode at least in the first twelve hours. So at least in, the, in a span of twelve to eighteen hours, that was the most plays. And most listens, thank you, thank you, that uh, that Bleeding Blue has ever gotten. So thank you. I hope that you're back. I hope you're listening, and I hope you're enjoying. I hope um, we always try to have some sort of laugh or have some sort of story or have some sort of check-in for the first few minutes of the podcast because uh, before we get all serious and angry about sports. Um, that's what, I think that's what most uh, most podcasts do there, Justin. Some people don't uh, like not, it. Like some not, people... not to get sarcastic on you, but I, I, th- I think most podcasts have a little banter. No, but some people oh, wow. don't like like it. They're like, I don't want to hear about your personal life. Just like get into the I don't the like it either, shit. to be honest. I don't like I, it either. I, I like it. I like hearing I like telling these weird stories. I have more stories from Nashville about this uh about this one bull rider. He was a bull rider that entered into this bar. And wow. now you wouldn't know that he's a bull rider by just by the oh, like, oh, that guy's a bull rider. Because bull riders don't have a I guess they have a distinct look, but this guy was a little bit older. And he had a full-on cowboy, the hat, the the regular kind of like button-down shirt with the belts and the jeans and the boots and everything. Now, we were at a bar, and there was music playing, and there was a band playing. The, the lead singer was a woman, and this guy is nodding his head, smiling, and looking at this lead singer woman who was a very pretty woman, looking at this woman and just nodding his head. And like I'm like, okay, this is weird. I'm like, I hope this guy's like a producer because that would make sense. He likes the way the band sounds. Like, okay, he's a producer. So then he goes up to the stage and he whispers something after a song to this woman. I'm like, okay, so he's obviously a producer. So then a few songs later, they say, hey, famous bull rider blah 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 is here and i don't know his name because nobody watches bull riding so this man (laughs) had the ego to go up to the front and interrupt a show get the interrupt a show while musicians are playing music to say hey i'm somewhat famous acknowledge my presence and then people clapped for him hey babe hey babe my name's stagger lee and i'm a famous bull rider what what is your reaction to that as a lead singer? And it's like, oh, okay, I'm here trying to like sing and perform, <laughs> and you want me to introduce you when probably no one in the room knows who you are. That is incredibly bad manners. You sh- you should have probably confronted him over that. 
and probably I, seeing how that would have gone. He left. He left like 15 minutes oh, okay. later. He talked to two I'm people. I'm sure you were thinking about it. Oh, I, I kept on looking at him because he just freaked me out. And also, like, how big of an ego do you need to? I think I have a pretty big ego. I think if you, I think if you're a podcast host, you kind of need to have a big ego a little bit to you, say, "Hey, you think you have a big ego?" I think I've, I like to think that sometimes I have a big ego. <laughs> there we go. We scaled it back. All right, we're good. <laughs> Does that mean I don't? Oh, I passed. Um, but how big of an ego do you have to have to like do that? All right. So anyway, look, just like we talked about how some people don't like all this personal talk now that we're like 10 minutes in and <laughs> now that we're 10 minutes in, let's talk about the giants. <laughs> we've, uh, we, we've burned off all the front runners here. Yeah. Yeah. All you, all you fake bleeding blue fans that don't like to hear Brett and I stories yeah. about slower, slower, lower Southern America and egotistical yeah. bull riders in Nashville. So uh, basically, this week is going to serve as an extension of last week, where instead of asking a lot of questions, we're going to react and talk about things. Um, so I was I was kind of in a state of like numbness and confusion and sadness and insert random adjective here and feeling here until I get off the plane in New Jersey on Thursday and I see that the Giants have signed Golden Tate to a four-year, $40 million-something-dollar deal where $23 million is guaranteed. So basically, you're guaranteeing yourself two years of Golden Tate, or at least two years' salary of Golden Tate. And you're paying him about $10 million a year annually. So that's when I started to get pissed because we buy this conception and we buy, and we buy this perception that, okay, the Giants are rebuilding. Now, trading Beckham is not necessarily a rebuilding move because part of rebuilding you would think is that you need to get your 38 year old quarterback out of the building yeah you're getting rid of your older players we knew that wasn't going to happen we're rebuilding but we signed uh bethea as well so go you know go figure good signing i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say that that was a bad signing we needed a free safety he can also play strong safety he's shown the, the versatility he's shown the success under james betcher not going to knock the guy he's played a lot oh, of games man. but he's in his he's in, he's in his 30s but they is in his 30s he is not in the front end or the middle part of his career he was at the he's at the end he's so, on the niners right last year or? cardinals cardinals, cardinals. Right. so one of the one of those nfc west teams I don't have a problem with Golden Tate or Bethea, but let's let's stick with Tate because Bethea is not getting that much money, and it, honestly, that doesn't matter. But you know, when you're giving out ten million dollars, especially one day, two days after you just traded your franchise player, the most important player in your franchise, I don't have a problem with Golden Tate the player, but I have a major problem with the timing behind the signing. And I guess the response that people have been saying on Twitter is, well, Eli needs to throw to somebody, right? If not him, then who would Eli throw to? And here's my question for you, Brett. Maybe as an outsider, you can you can answer this, and then we can talk about it. Does it even fucking matter anymore who Eli Manning is throwing to? Okay, there I 100% agree with you. 100% agree. Because you know what? From an outsider, I watched... Eli Manning in a terrible Giants team torch a Super Bowl winning Eagles team twice with no receivers or no first time they had receivers second time he had no receivers same result and what did they run quicker receivers smaller quicker receivers and they ran these quick routes and I just couldn't understand okay why was this working so well against the Eagles where it couldn't work against anybody else. You know, they, they look so good in both of those games against the Eagles. And and they, they look like crap in the other ones. And honestly, uh, last year, I mean, obviously, you add Barkley into the fold, and that changes things. But they had a lot of success against the Eagles then, too. You know, now they're not winning these games. I'm just saying that, they, that they're moving the football pretty well. I, I think Eli is going to have some scattered good decent to good games and mostly bad games if you gave him randy moss in his prime out there or or it doesn't matter it just Mm -hmm. doesn't matter i agree with you yeah because there's there's multiple sides to this you see the numbers and the numbers back this up 
that the Giants' winning percentage is better with Beckham than without Beckham. Eli Manning's completion percentage is better with Beckham than without Beckham. His touchdown to interception ratio, better with Beckham than without Beckham. You are Eli Manning is a better football player when better football players are on the field surrounding him, which, hey, I'm glad the stats back that up. But there is an argument that says, when is the last time a team has won the Super Bowl with the premier wide receiver on its roster? Now, premier meaning... What? I guess that's a great question because do you consider Alshon Jeffrey a premier wide receiver? No. I consider him a good wide Is, is there yeah. a difference between good and very good and premier? Is, are those, could those be considered tiers of receivers? I mean, I guess that's, that's kind of an argument that needs to be asked to the world because that's something that uh, I know Dan Schneier on Big Blue Banter Podcast, I was listening to him. Even though he's a you know, big, advocate, big advocate of we didn't get enough value from the Odell trade, but he basically did come out and ask the question. And I ask this question often a lot too, you know, looking at the trends in football, right? Seeing that teams are having a lot of success with quarterbacks under their rookie deal and how important it is for teams to succeed with quarterbacks who are in their rookie deal because you can spend money around them. So again, looking at trends and, and Mm -hmm. also we looked at trends during our, when we were talking about, Landon Collins a couple weeks ago, Brett, where we said, when was the last time that a team won the Super Bowl that didn't at least have one top 10 to top five safety on their team? And and we listed all those safeties. Remember yep. we did that? So again, mm-hmm. you look at trends and you look at what works in the NFL. It would obviously help. And this is the same argument with Barkley, where it obviously helps when you have a premier running back on the team. But yeah, do you need it? To go you out don't. there and win a Super Bowl, you don't. No, you do not. That, that isn't an opinion, right? I mean, that that is a fact. You need the franchise quarterback. That's a, a that's about as non-controversial of a statement as you can come up with. <laughs> so that's not necessarily a, I think, saying, oh, it was okay that we traded Old Beckham Jr. But at the same time, it's definitely a sentiment as to why paying Golden Tate ten million dollars while also combining the fact that we are paying Odell Beckham Jr. $16 million to not be on the roster this year, combine that with the fact that we paid him $21.25 million last year to play 12 games, then it's a little cuckoo. That's where you're getting in the area of it being cuckoo. So I, th- I think, you know what? By If you just want to go purely, let's, 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 throw out, let, let's throw away names here. Let's say... Let's say Okay, let, Odell Beckham is wide receiver A with these attributes, and Golden Tate is wide receiver B with his attributes. And just going purely by fit, Golden Tate is currently a better fit for the Giants. It's crazy, right? But because is he, though? He is. Just because Eli Manning cannot throw deep right now. Okay. And Tate does not live deep. He lives in the first 10 yards of the field. He's quick, change of direction. He can get open. He's annoying. I'm, I'm not looking forward to facing him this year. He's going to get first downs you know, by, by the dozens. A lot of first downs this year for the Giants. I think he is a very good fit for a team that's looking to win now. Huh. You're, you got me with that one. See, that's the problem, though. You're not looking to win now. But if you're looking to win now with Eli Manning and you were building the rest of the team, you know, they're a good defense too. That would, you know, that would, you'd have something. But overall, the move doesn't make sense. Yeah. If you look at the, if you zoom out and look at the broader scheme of things, it's going to be interesting to see how they use him because basically Golden Tate's a slot guy. He is. Sterling Shepard's a slot guy. Mm-hmm. You got two slot guys on the team, there's only one slot wide receiver. <laughs> yeah yeah and, and, and so you're gonna have to run an, an offense gonna be a bit limited honestly but that's what eli manning can do right now and that and that's pretty much all he can do he doesn't want to throw deep down the field maybe he'll have a little more time this year maybe he'll work up the courage because <laughs> of their improvements on the offensive line right right but so you mentioned the uh the phrase win now yeah. Our favorite, our 
favorite phrase on this podcast that when you analyze this team, because in my opinion, the quote that Dave Gellman said two days ago, it basically explains the signing. You hit the nail on the head, Brett. Mm -hmm. He feels that this team can still go out and win football games while still building a roster. And honestly, do I feel that we've touched on and we've acknowledged how this is 100% false? I feel like we have acknowledged this. Are we going to talk about it anyway? Yes, we are, (laughs) because this team gives us no other choice but to continually bring this up. If the Giants were being run by competent leaders with some kind of direction, in my opinion, this whole disaster that we're looking at would have been fixed last year. There would be no more need for some kind of major rebuild. If anything, we would be having a, an offseason like the Jets or even like the Browns. And you know and you know kind of where I want to go with this. I think you know where I kind of and this is where we dis, we disagree on this. Do you know do you know what I'm thinking of right now? What are you thinking of? I'm thinking of the 2018 draft. But so so what did what did you want to do in the 2018 draft? So I want you, you you be in Mr. Hindsight with Saquon Barkley sitting there. Mm-hmm. You want to go Darnold quarterback Darnold. I, uh, you know what? I sure we'll, we'll go Darnold. Darnold had the best uh, uh, quarterback passer rating in the month of December out of any quarterback in the NFL. So despite all the injuries, despite people saying, Oh, Barkley played 16 games and Sam Darnold missed blah, 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 blah. And despite all of his receivers fucking yeah. falling down and, breaking their ankles and getting all high ankle sprains last year. He somehow pulled off the highest QBR in the month of December. And that's what you want to see out of a rookie quarterback. You want to see growth. And that's what yeah. he gave you. Oh yeah. And I, I agree with you that, that Darnold certainly did show growth. And I, and I think he could even be, I think he could be close to that franchise quarterback level of player. But I think in the draft, you still need to consider the best player. And, and and Saquon Barkley was the best player there. He was, he or he is a once in a generation type of talent. And fine, it is fine. It's hard. It's hard to. It's hard to put this in a quarterback-driven league kind of context. But I, I still think they made the correct pick there because this year, this year, should have been the year. That, that they go out and finally ditch Eli Manning and draft their franchise quarterback. Because last year, clearly, the Giants made their decision that they didn't like Darnold or Rosen enough to, to want to draft him over, again, a franchise all-time great level of player like Saquon Barkley is. So I think this year, you could start building a Cowboys-type team. With a great running back, a, a good offensive line, obviously not as good as the Cowboys, but you're building it to that level, mm-hmm. hypothetically, and you're drafting your quarterback this year. It would frustrate me to no end that they aren't moving on from Eli Manning. They need to do that. Need to. We talked about this I, at I, the I, end of at the end of last week, but if we did take that quarterback, Brett. And again, we talked about the positional value of a running back. We've talked about this continually on this podcast. I actually do want, there are strong analytics and there are strong numbers that look at different positional values. And I actually want to dedicate an entire episode to that sometime this offseason of Mm -hmm. looking at the strong values of certain positions and lack thereof on certain other positions uh, in the NFL. Because I'm saying it, and you look at teams that have won Super Bowls, again, trends, and how many of them have star running backs? Like, especially you look at the Patriots. You know, they take any Joe Schmo off the street, and they can go out and they can play running back for him. So, so, there's, so there's that. But if the Giants drafted a quarterback at two last year, whether that was Rosen or Darnold, you're looking at the Giants having 50 to $60 million in cap money to spend they would have still had Nate Solder. You can still go out and get Kevin Zietler. And then this draft, you are solely focused on getting a pass rusher, an edge rusher. Or you could have even traded back. You could have traded back if you're really looking to embrace the rebuild. You could have traded back and then gotten the draft capital for 2020's draft as well. 
That's what you could have done. And then you really could have set the franchise in the in a great spot, in a great position. But we refuse. And just, this is just like you said. I feel like we're, are, we're saying the same thing except in a different way. They are refusing to acknowledge a problem, and that is Eli Manning. And we we know it. We all know it. So yeah, they 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 have to know it too. They're not they're not just sitting there being like, hmm, I wonder if this team needs a rebuild. Of course, you have to say, you have to say that you're trying to win now. I mean, it would be it would be heinous to, to do anything else. But you have to be honest with yourself eventually. And honest with Eli Manning, you 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 just you actually owe it to him to to be honest and say, look, look, you know it, I know it, we got it, we got to move on. Yeah, I mean, we've we, we're rebuilding everywhere else except for I guess receiver and safety. I I don't know. Yeah, how and basically <laughs> this turnover in the NFL should not take this long if you are honest about your football team and if you're honest with yourself about what you have to do with your football team this turnover in the NFL because it allows you between strength of schedule if you have a, if you go out and you have a bad season most likely the next year you are going to have somewhat of an easier schedule yeah yep ever since the NFL, I think Sam Bradford or Russell, they might have been two of the last guys that got big contracts as like number one picks. Sam Bradford was. Sam Bradford was. Russell was not that high of a pick. He was a second round pick. Jamarcus Russell. Oh, Jamarcus Russell. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. So, but, but Bradford was the last. Yeah. Ever since the quarterbacks on rookie contracts are taking these low cap hits. It has gotten a lot easier. You look at even the Bears. Is Mitchell Trubisky the quarterback of the future for the Chicago Bears? I don't know. Did they go out and win 12 games last year? And were people talking Super Bowl for the Bears? You bet, because it shouldn't take that long. And I'm not saying that, hey, if the Giants took a quarterback that in 2019 they would go out and they would win 12 games. I don't know. Maybe. You saw what uh, uh, Pat Shermer did with Case Keenum. Maybe. You also saw something else from the Bears. It takes a long time to build a defense. The Bears went from being terrible on defense, like you know, four or five years ago, when they were when they were just recycling after Erlacher finally retired and everything, and all of that moved mm-hmm. on. And they were and they were after Erlacher was gone and, and everything, they kind of just floated out there in oblivion for a while, which the Giants are kind of doing that right now. And then you start drafting players, and you eventually you, you fail a little bit, and then you have some success, and you hope you hope the success outweighs the failure, and you, and that just keeps building and building until suddenly, last year you have an epiphany, which the Bears did on defense. The year before last year, they were still pretty good defensively. They were a bad team overall, mm-hmm. but they were pretty good defensively. But last year, something just clicked for them. The critical mass was reached on defense, and obviously that carried them to a playoff berth, and it could have carried them further if uh, one Cody Parkey hadn't doinked a field goal. You know what yeah. clicked, Brett? What what clicked? Oh, shit. We have a lot of money, and Khalil Mack is on the trade market, is ah. on the trade block. Let's go out and let's get him. But that's the final piece, right? They had built the infrastructure around him, so they needed that one final piece, and they went, went and got it. Yeah. So basically, it shouldn't take you as long as the if you are honest about your approach and what you have to do, which the Giants have not been. This is why it has taken so long for the turnover to happen. And you look at you look at the Browns. The Browns were the embarrassment of the sports world. The embarrassment of the sports world. John Dorsey comes in at the end of 2017 being interviewed for a general managing job at the same time the Giants were interviewing Dave Gettleman, Lewis Riddick, and Kevin Abrams. Yeehaw! The same time we were interviewing, I believe, three out of the four guys that we interviewed for an NFL GM job for the Giants. They had former affiliations with the organization, and Lewis Riddick was the only one who was an outsider. Meanwhile, Dorsey comes in, 2017 makes quarterback a priority and takes the Browns from being the embarrassment of the sports world to lo and behold, people are talking Super Bowl 
for them. I'm not a believer in that, but people are talking Super Bowl for this football team just because of the assets that they have and the ability, the flexibility that they are able to do what they are able to do because they have the franchise quarterback. Yeah, but the other thing is, once again, they also the, 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 you mentioned something key: assets, and it wasn't just quarterback. They had a ton of draft picks, a ton of high draft picks that not only had they had they got had they gotten before Dorsey and some of the talent they started to build up on defense, especially again before Dorsey. This stuff doesn't just happen overnight. E- even through all the failures the Browns have had, you get enough high picks. You, you, you know, they failed a lot, obviously, with these high picks, but some of them started to stick. It's almost like snow. <laughs> it's, it's weird. You, you, just bear with me for a sec. Mm-hmm. You, you have a warm surface and in snow falling. And, and if, if the snow falls heavily enough, you know, the, snow, the snowflakes are going to melt, but you cool off the surface enough and they start sticking and, they, and then it just starts piling up. You just need your first few picks to hit. And then I feel like you you get the formula down and you know what you're looking for and it's and, and, and a team just starts to pile up and and you you get a not a finished product yet for the for the Browns because they haven't even made the playoffs yet. We'll see how this year goes, but you certainly get yourself in a much better situation. But something that Dorsey did, and again, this isn't this isn't a this isn't a bleeding Cleveland podcast. But Mm -hmm. something that Dorsey did when he came in, because the Browns obviously sucked for years. They had top five picks for years. They garnered these picks for years, like you said. But something that Dorsey did and something within his approach, within his signings, and you want to talk about being smart and savvy with certain signings, something that he has done has flipped the script for the franchise. Oh, yeah. He was obviously a key to this because, you know, young talent isn't anything without a direction. Clearly, um, he he obviously has sort of changed the culture there by firing, you know, certain coaches. And, right. And and like you said, making some pretty amazing moves, too. Yeah. All right. So let's let's get into some. Dave Gettleman uh, made the rounds today on uh, different media platforms through phone calls and interviews on WFAN. Basically, because you have to you have to face the music. This is something that fans have been asking for for ever since the Odell Beckham Jr. trade happened. He needs to come out and he needs to speak. He did it today. So uh, let's let's break down some quotes. But uh, Brett, I I I know you have a thought as to how interesting this situation is. Why even Dave Gettleman needs to come out and make these thoughts? Yeah, I mean. To me, the only reason a GM needs to come out and make these statements, go on these different radio shows, is when they know they've either done something controversial or maybe they they know that this wasn't the right move. Now, again, I'm an Eagles fan. We've won a Super Bowl recently. Again, this is a much different experience. But nevertheless, Howie Roseman is our GM. And he he is never on the radio, virtually never. Maybe on just for fun every once in a while. Because the Eagles' moves are moves to supplement the roster. They're not like foundation changing, right? You know, trades or you know to to get especially get rid of lovable players. Not to say that Odell was lovable, but he was important and in play. You know, in the locker room, respected him actually because Howie Roseman also does his job very well. Yeah, well, the locker room, the Eagles, say what the Eagles locker room respects Howie Roseman. How many, how many, I mean, and actually likes him. I mean, the, the relationship between a GM and players, that, that usually doesn't happen very, very, very uh, often. But how many, uh, how many players from uh, Carolina have come out and said that they respect uh, Dave Gunnelman? Uh How many, uh, how has how Landon Collins uh, really, uh, really spoken about uh, Dave Gunnelman and what's going on with the Giants organization? What's some of the uh? What's Wayne Gallman doing? Liking some tweets and liking some Instagram photos, saying how the Giants organization is like going against its players and stuff like that. What what's what's that all about? Wow. Yep. All right. So um, basically, I think you know he had to come out and face the music. But why even come out? It's because you have to explain the unexplainable, and that's mine. I guess if I had to come out, if I if I had to say it in a phrase, it's that. So yep. Dave Gettleman, these are some of his. 
These are part of some of his introductory statements on Odell. So here we go. Quote, some have questioned why we signed Odell and then traded him. As I said publicly twice, we didn't sign him to trade him, but obviously things change. Frankly, what changed is a team made an offer we couldn't refuse. I laugh at that. As it turns out, the fact that he was signed for five or more years made him very attractive and enabled us to get legitimate value. Okay, so this makes sense in the game of baseball, especially <laughs> yep. especially yep. when you have a guy who is before the period where he's an unrestricted free agent, before year six, before his sixth year of Major League Baseball service, where if he mm -hmm. has two or more years left on a cheap deal where he's still on his arbitration years and stuff like that, he has significant value. But here's the difference, Dave. You paid Odell Beckham Jr., again, $22 million last year to play 12 games. You're wasting $16 million for him to not be on the roster this year. Okay, okay. But the Giants are rebuilding. We will have the cap room when Eli's money comes off the books. And that's what Dave Gettleman said later on because they reporters asked him about the dead money and the dead cap room. And he's like, you know what? It's kind of like a, a utilitarianism thing. It's going to suck for now, but we're doing it for the greater benefit of the good. But really? I mean, that's that's really? what he said. That's that that's what he said. Um, I, I, I know. I, I just it doesn't make any sense. Why are why not keep the guy and not pay him to play somewhere else? And okay, fine. Eli's money is coming off the book, but then you go out and draft your young quarterback and you give him Odell Beckham to throw to. I mean, you know, it just doesn't make any sense from any perspective overall. I mean, it, it, it's it's just tough for Gettleman to explain that to me. Yeah, so we're rebuilding, right? We're get we're gonna garner some draft picks because that's the ultimate sign of a rebuilding team. But but no, according to Dave Gettleman, we could still go out, and, and he doesn't have to say this. I don't know if people know that. Like, you don't have to say we're going to go out and try to lose football games. You don't have to come out and say that. But you can put an overemphasis. You don't have to say we're going to go out and try to win as many football games as possible because you are basically giving this mentality that you still think that you can win now. And obviously you could say, oh, but he has to say that. No, he does not, number one. And number two, what makes you know for a fact is that he continues to defend that the Giants' second half of the season was more of a statement on what this football team is rather than the first half of the season. What was the Giants' record first half of the season, Brett? Damn, was it like one and seven? Okay. One and seven. That's what our record was. So he thinks that going, what, four and three? Or what? What? what I don't know what we fucking went. We, <laughs> what, winning four games in the second half of the season is more of a reflection? Where, by the way, half of those fucking games we played backup quarterbacks. Yeah. You think yeah. that's more of a reflection of this football team, the second half of the season, than the shit? that we put out on the field the first half of the season? Really? When the games actually mattered. Yeah. When the games actually mattered, especially in quarters one through three. And then when Eli would be great during garbage time. That's what matters to you? That's that's I what you're doing. So with this approach and with that mindset that they have that yeah. we can replicate the second half of 2018, you go out and you sign golden fucking tape. Yeah. That's what you do. That's what yeah. you do. That's insanity. And what Pat Shermer really needs to be fair to him, he needs his own quarterback. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there have been there were so many times last season when Shermer called a different play. I don't know if it was a good play. It it was certainly better than whatever Eli did, and and Eli checks it down and goes short and it failed yeah. miserably. So yeah. to be fair, Pat Shermer needs a real quarterback to actually operate his offense. <laughs> so. Yeah. And despite, chance, his, and despite his quotes, <laughs> I wrote about this in a Bleeding Blue blog, despite his quotes that he says about Eli to the media, there were times where cameras yeah. would pick up Pat mm -hmm. Shermer being visibly frustrated constantly oh, yeah. with Eli Manning. <laughs> so, sorry. So, here, so here's some other quotes. Uh, Gentleman was talking about some macro overall strategies to making trades in the NFL. The team that makes the call is playing from behind. You're in a much better position of strength when teams call you. You're in a much better position. And then basically this was in response as to why he didn't shop around the Browns offer and only called his connection that he had with Bill's GM, Brandon Bean. You don't think maybe creating a bidding war for the most important franchise player 
that you have right now would have been a good idea? That's my question. You don't think creating yeah. some kind of bidding war for yeah. Odell Beckham Jr. would have been a good idea? So he's saying that he, he's saying that he didn't do that. That that the Browns' offer was like the only one. Nope. That was. I mean, there were other offers that were on the table. I believe from the 49ers. but mm-hmm. basically, when the Browns made their made their offer, and they were in negotiations, and they made that offer of third round pick, sixteenth pick. Jabril Peppers. The Giants did not take that offer and shop it elsewhere and say, hey, can you give me something better than this? They did not yeah. do that. He only called Bill's GM. And that's like, he, he, apparently they're like close or something. Yeah, well, and also the Bills were obviously looking for a receiver. They, they wanted Antonio Brown. Right. Uh, Gettleman goes on to say, trying to give clarification and explanation that the value and the return back on Beckham was worthy. Quote, again, as our litmus test, it turns out we not only got two first-round picks, but we also got a third. This is something I can understand in a way, but it is very flawed thinking. People were saying that as a reaction to the Odell Beckham trade, that the Giants should have at, at least gotten two first-round picks back. That's something that people thought that they expected. Now, in the Giants' minds, they did, and this is something that I think we said on last week's episode. In their minds, they viewed Jabril Peppers as a first-round draft pick. Wow, you can't. That that that's just that 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 can't be true. I mean, I mean, Jabril Peppers is not a high level safety. He's he's been a development project for pretty much his whole career. I mean, he was he was he a starter for them? For the Browns, yes, he was a starter. He was in the top ten for pro, pro Football Focus for strong safeties for the majority of the season. Then there was a late season drop off in terms of the grades. So he fell out of the top 15 in terms of uh, safeties for pro football focus. I, I, I just, okay. That, 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 that's in terms of top 10 safeties. We're not strong talking safeties. about other strong, fine, strong safeties. We're talking, we're not talking about other players too. I mean, in a, in a draft, I mean, you, you would really t- to say that Jabril peppers is equivalent to a first round pick. He would have to be, among the top one or two strong safeties. But I mean, Brett, he was a first round pick, Brett, He was taken in the first round. So that's what the giant, that's what the giant's justification is. That's what their justification is. And you, and you you want to know, you want to know what's funny? Yeah. You want to know what's funny? Yeah. The fact that Jabril peppers during his scouting combine had to play both the linebacker position and the safety position because he couldn't fucking cover in college. He's an athlete. He, I, I remember him. I remember the, his recruiting process actually at a high school. He's a, he's an athlete. He, he did. He was positionless. That is such a a nebulous thing in sports, you know, in, in basketball and in, in football. You're decent at a lot of things, but not really that good at, at any of them. Now, the good thing about, I guess, the good thing about Pepper's contract is that he has a fifth year option. I guess that's a that's a good thing. So they can get a maximum of three years, three more years out of Dribble Peppers because he's already had two years, and now you can get an extra at least two if they want to take that fifth-year option on for a very low cap hit. But if Elanda Collins was yeah. going to get franchise tagged, which was $11 million, it's about $9 million that the Giants are saving by paying Dribble Peppers during his rookie deal. But again, this is another example of how the Giants misevaluate the significance and value behind draft picks. Instead of getting five years out of a first-round draft pick that you actually take from the NFL draft, mm-hmm. instead of a former first-round pick, they don't see the significance and the value behind players on their rookie deals. They also don't see the value behind signing players once if they re- and rewarding themselves from good drafting. They don't see the significance of the value of that. Well, I mean, probably because they're Jerry Reese guys. But then also, um, Dave Gettleman had a quote, and he said this. Listen to this, Brett. I have this crazy idea that age doesn't bother me. What does that mean? I guess that was in response to the Golden Tate signing, the Bethea signing. We've also signed some guys above 30 who I guess you know who are coming from the Cardinals defense this offseason. So he has this crazy idea and crazy notion that age doesn't bother him when he's making football decisions. Well, 
I mean, it wouldn't bother me either if I was legitimately going for a Super Bowl. Right. In, in the next couple of seasons. I mean, fine, you're 30 or so, but I mean, I only need you for that first next couple of seasons. It doesn't make any sense to sign a guy that's 31, 32 years old. And you're still four or five seasons away from from competing for uh, you know the Super Bowl at all, or you know maybe maybe three three or four seasons away from a playoff spot if things go well. That that, that doesn't make any sense. That quote. And, and but but I wanted to go back to what they what he said that he views that Peppers is basically a first round pick. Yeah. So do you think that's him just rationalizing that he could only get Peppers instead of getting another first round pick? Or do you think he actually thinks that? I think he actually thinks that. Hmm. I think he really does. So he would so so he would you say he would choose having realistically like solidly one first round pick, of course the third round pick, and a player, a, a, a young player that was picked in the first round. Do you think that he likes that over two first round picks and a third round pick? You think I he- don't, I mean, I don't know if he, if he likes it, but overall that's what he agreed to when there had to be other offers on the table and there were other offers on the table. And the fact that they yeah. didn't shop, they did not shop this offer and the, he feels, and he said it adamantly over and over again, the value was something we could not ignore. The value was something we could not ignore. And this was a direct quote that he had. We got two first rounders out of this trade, and one of them is a player. So he views Jabril Peppers as a first round pick, even though he will not be giving you the same value that a first round pick will because he will not be on the team for five years. Yeah, and and so so to me, that, that, that makes me think that he that he wanted a player. He didn't just want the picks. He wanted a player. Which why? I, I, I understand if it's actually a player that is equivalent to a first round pick. I mean, if it's actually a player that would that it doesn't even need to be picked in the first round. It's just a player that's near the top of their game, of of their position. That would make sense. But just because a player was picked in the first round doesn't make it a first round pick. That's incredibly flawed logic. Now, here's both a question and an answer. And I truly think this question is worth being answered by Dave Guttelman and not just shoved aside. So he basically, when he was asked this question, he shoved it aside. So here's the question. Can you best articulate what the plan is and how letting safety Landon Collins go, trading Beckham, trading Vernon, but bringing back Eli Manning factors into your plan? And what the plan is. Okay, so maybe this is a person that asked this could have been a, a little bit more broad and not just saying, hey, Dave Gettleman, what's your plan? What are you going to do? But I think mm-hmm. basically asking the question, can you best articulate what the plan is by letting Collins go, trading Beckham, trading Vernon, but bringing back Eli factors into your plan? Like, what's the thinking behind that? But regardless, he shoves it to the side. Really and truly, very honestly, it's not my responsibility to tell you guys what I'm, what I'm doing. Just like it's not my responsibility to respond to every rumor that comes down the pike. That's not my job. It's not my responsibility. Trust me. We've got a plan. Over time, you've got to be patient. Everybody wants answers now in this instant gratification society, instant gratification world, and everybody wants answers now. Over time, you'll see it. You've got to trust it. The question came shortly after it was asked, are you rebuilding? So then this is his response to, are you rebuilding? We were 3-13 and when I took over. We were 5-11 and 11 last year. 12 of those games were by a touchdown or less. So he thinks that it that last year was a, was a success because he took the team from 3-13 and 13 to 5-11. and 11. I, That's what I take from that quote. And do we not remember the expectations that this team had last year? Yeah. They honestly, I mean, even people around the league thought the Giants would be a dangerous team. I, I, don't, I don't honestly I mean five and eleven was not the expectation last year, not even close. Yeah. So you can't you can't say because you improved by two wins that 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 again more bad bad logic. If if there's no actual tangible move that caused that improvement, in in another tangible move that you would say going into this coming season would lead you to believe that there is actually a plan to be better. 
then then what are we supposed to trust here? I understand if he's getting criticized because the Giants are bad right now, but the Giants are getting young. They're 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 clearly building for the future and for the draft. That's a plan. There's no room for criticism there. It's moving in the right direction, but right now he's got to understand it looks like he doesn't have a plan when he trades a couple of and lets go a couple of the team's young stars and brings in some veterans. That doesn't make any sense on a rebuilding team. It just doesn't. He's got to understand that. So basically, kind of, we'll start our wrapping up thoughts. Um, basically, trying to explain the unexplainable, trying to justify the unjustifiable. Gettleman told people to trust him, that he has a plan. And here's my question to you. When have you ever gained anybody's trust as a general manager? And we brought this up earlier in the episode, but I'm going to ask it again. Nobody from Carolina has a single nice thing to say about you, despite what Bob Papa went on TV and said, which I found that to be bizarre. The voice of the New York Giants had to go on TV and to say, before Dave Gettleman made his round of pressers two days ago, that the Giants have a plan. Dave Gettleman built uh, an NFC conference winning roster in Carolina, and he has a plan that he's had success in the past. That roster was inherited, and Carolina is just getting over the fucking mess that he caused that team and the fact that they let him go during training camp because his presence was so toxic in that organization because he is not a general manager. He is an evaluator of talent. Yep, it's it's a key difference there. It's a key difference. It's a big rung up the ladder to go from a talent evaluator to managing the entire team. Yeah. The spineless organization does not deserve our trust. They talk about the culture. Dave Gettleman has talked about the culture. So he lets Collins walk, locker room guy, leader on that defense, you get no value out on that. You trade the best offensive skill position player in this franchise history, and you sign Golden Tate and Antoine Pathea because they're good culture guys. So th- none, no decision that Dave Gettleman has made as a New York Giants general manager has leaves me to say this man deserves our trust. And it honestly, it starts at the top. I feel like on this podcast, we don't acknowledge john mara as much as we should because we simply just don't know we don't know we could speculate all we want about what goes on at the top and in this organization but clearly clearly after the decision and after the backlash that ev that everyone including myself i went on a little bit of a facebook rant over why benching eli manning for geno smith was wrong but that backlash has this organization and this franchise scared fucking shitless that they do not want to do anything that will offend anyone or anything that will prove them wrong or do anything different they don't they refuse to and i don't know again i mean obviously (laughs) trading odell beckham is something different that's kind of putting your uh starting to put your push your chips towards the middle of the pile there and saying listen we're, we're right about this. I mean, the picks that we just acquired are going to turn out to be cornerstones in our franchise, and Peppers is going to develop into a a uh, not. I mean, I mean, Landon Collins is kind of a lot to expect, but honestly, Landon Collins that that's what he'll de- develop into. You know, maybe not the greatest cover guy, but certainly a very good box safety. That's that that's that's honestly putting your balls on the table right there. I, I don't think that was the best move they could have made. I agree with you there, but that's you know if you're starting to transform the franchise and and start to put start to put your stamp on it, that's the kind of move you'd make. But you, but you have to agree that they're doing these things out of fear. They're not doing these things out of rational decision making. What, what, what would the fear about by by keeping Beckham? What what, what would the fear there be? The fear that he's uncontrollable. Okay. The fear that, oh, he's going to go on Josina Anderson again and talk bad about Eli. Oh, he's going to go on and question the play calling. Fuck you. It was bad. Yeah. 
They weren't I mean, throwing him the ball down the field. They weren't utilizing him the way that they should. And he said something about it. So then what did they go and do one week later? They scored 30 fucking points for the first time since Tom Coughlin. That's yeah. what they went out and did after he went out and challenged the team. So fuck you for not seeing that. Yeah. You, you, got, rid of, you got rid of the leader in that locker room. But to, to me, they got rid of the thing that was pointing them to their problem. And right. Eli Manning. Right. That's what they, that's what they got rid of. Right. <laughs> They're like, you know what? You're right, but we don't want to hear about it. So bye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and really, maybe, maybe this, maybe this is the part that we should have started off with. Like, really, like, I, I may try to clip this, clip this to the beginning because, hmm. oh my God, they make, that's what they did. They made this decision out of fear that we are going to get rid of this problem, this cancer, because it is, He's not going to challenge our approach and our flawed plan. And granted, should he have went on that Josina Anderson and said that stuff? No. No, he should not. Does it change the fact that that fucking week they went out and they scored 30 points and Eli Manning looked the best that he looked during that first half of the season? It does not change that. It, it does is, not change that. To, to put it another way... It is not Odell Beckham's fault that they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> you right. know? I mean, because he sees things a certain way. Now, for example, on the Patriots, there will there would not be a single player like Odell Beckham on that team because no one questions their ways because they win. And nobody would dare because they want to stay on that team. And if they said anything, they're asked to be out the door. And it, the Patriots wouldn't miss them. The Giants are about as diametrically opposite from that as you can possibly get. <laughs> yeah. So Odell Beckham, he would not be like he is if the Giants had a real plan. If they if they went out and got their young quarterback, they did not need to do what they just did. And I, I've taken a couple of different stances throughout this podcast, but let me be clear. I completely disagree with them getting rid of Beckham. They should have kept him. They should have got, they, they should get rid of Eli. They should have brought in that young quarterback. And I think it would have worked. All right. So uh, we'll, we'll see. Um, regardless, April is going to be fun. Um, we didn't, we actually did not get to talking about the draft at all. Like I thought, like I thought that maybe we would. We were dissecting these Gettleman quotes, but we're gonna we're gonna talk more about the draft. We're gonna talk more. I have some very good, basically all of the options that the Giants can do at number six and number seventeen that I think are realistic. And there's a few of them that I've written out. Maybe we can do that next episode. Um, it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun off season of talking about stuff. I feel like there's even regardless, even if there's no news, I feel like just because of how complicated this overall Giants situation is, there's always something to talk about. Even if it's kind of like rehashing some older problems and kind of just diving into it, delving into it. So, Brett, do you have any final thoughts as we end this wonderful conversation? Well, just as a little teaser to what you were just talking about, the draft, do you think there's any chance they use those two picks to trade up? No. I I would hope that you don't garner all these draft picks just to use them on one person. I would rather them put all of their eggs in a basket for Rosen. And if that doesn't work and you just roll with Eli because you've dug yourself this grave already by not taking mm -hmm. a quarterback in 2018, I would rather just roll with Eli for one more year. Whatever the fuck happens this year happens. And then in 2020, when Eli retires, hopefully, you you are forced. The Giants will be forced to take a quarterback. So we'll talk about the draft and we'll talk about all that kind of stuff. But that was that was a I guess that was a little teaser. So, but you're assuming they're going to be bad next year again. I'm at this point because Beckham's gone. I'm assuming. I I honestly don't know. It's going to have to be something. I'm going to have to see them in training camp. Like in all honesty, I'm going to have uh, the way that the team performs in training camp is usually a very good reflection on how they're going to do. And if that's if you go and you watch consistently, um, obviously with the way that the Giants are running their training camp practices now where you need tickets, it's going to be a little yeah. bit more difficult. 
Um, and also, I'm going to be in Philly for the majority of the summer, so me going to Giants practices may not be as frequent as it once was. Um, but definitely, I have some. We'll have some fun stuff planned for when I do go to training camp um, for Bleeding Blue and all that kind of stuff. So, yep, that's that. That's that. All right. Um, thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed, follow me on Twitter at jpenix 74 Follow Brett on Twitter at CoyoteWeather10. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Bleeding Double Underscore Blue. Leave a five-star rating on the Apple Podcast app. We have 35 five-star ratings, which is up Ooh, from yeah. last time we recorded. So that's fantastic. Um, thanks for tuning in. And uh, you know what? We'll hopefully, probably, most likely see you next week. Um, you know what you got to do? You just got to keep on Bleeding Blue, everybody. Peace out. Thanks for tuning in.